Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Hello everyone, thank you so much for deciding to tune into this episode today. This episode, Socially Just, is being released on Monday the 11th of April. It is officially the first day of holidays here in Victoria and I'm recording this intro on Thursday the 7th, but by the 11th I should be in Queensland enjoying myself in the warm weather because don't we all deserve to have a break and to get outside of our own little area with covid I'm hoping all of you have stayed safe and gotten through the first term. This has also been my first term as a parent of a preppy. So that has been a really interesting shift in roles. And I posted something on Instagram the other day that I just wanted to share here, which is when I went to the first parent-teacher interviews for my daughter, Olivia, I didn't ask about her academic ability. I didn't ask about when she should be reading. I didn't ask about, you know, how she was stacking up amongst other kids in terms of learning what I asked was is she comfortable are you getting to know her and asking you know who she kind of plays with and what kind of games they play and and whether she feels like she belongs because I I get her story but it's always really nice to hear the teacher perspective and I just wanted to remind you teachers out there that we are so driven by unit planners and assessment tasks and reports and data that from my perspective as a young parent with a young child sort of starting the education journey and having lots of conversations with other first-time parents in the education system that we're not really that interested in the academics we feel as though it'll come if they feel like they belong and there's no other kind of thing hampering their ability to learn. So I just wanted to share that with you. This conversation is with Jenna. So Jenna and I actually did our dip ed together. We didn't spend too much time because a dip ed back in the day was a whirlwind of, you know, 10 week placements and quickly figuring out how to write a unit plan and understand what VELS was and all those things. So we've sort of known each other and Jen has sort of been on the periphery for me for a while because I work with her sister, who is like one of my favorite humans. So I've always been really interested in what Jen has been doing. She is like a real go-getter. So she's just finished her master's education. She's just graduated. And I want to say a huge congratulations to her for that because it's just incredible considering she began this with two young girls at home and she has now finished that. And that sparked her interest in social justice in the math classroom and she talks a lot about the fact that she is always sort of wanting to fight for equity in general and then also seeing that social justice was not something that was really introduced in math classrooms at all. And I think as someone who's not a math brain and not that interested in math, I think she speaks about this really well and I think if you don't see the need for change, I'd be very, very surprised based on the argument she puts forth. Her Instagram handle is Math for Change, so jump on there, follow along and you can get some really great curriculum ideas as well and how to embed meaningful data in your classrooms. Again, as I said, I know 
we do tend to be focused on data, but this is really meaningful contextualized data that I think some of you could just create lesson plans around one of her posts. So anyway, go check out what she's doing. She is also a published author. She has written Penny the Hornless Unicorn, which is a beautiful book that I actually bought for Christmas and I bought for several people that have young children because it's just this really beautiful identity story and her own daughter illustrated it. And she's just, that's, I feel like that sums up what she's about. She has a message and she does something about it and she actions it and she puts some really great things into the world. So I know that you'll really enjoy this conversation. If you want to support the podcast, feel free to share this, follow along on whatever podcast streaming platform you are listening to this on love you to share this episode tag me at educating laura and jen at math for change with the number four i'll put the info in the show notes if you want to know more about her handle otherwise every teacher out there every person that has been in the school setting i hope you enjoy your two weeks off we all deserve it this has been as lovely as it has been to be committed to a full school term it has been certainly very challenging with the rising numbers i know it's been hard but we got there. Congratulations. And I'll see you in two weeks. Hi, Jen. How are you going? Good. How are you? Good. Thank you. I thought I'd ask you first up, how and what do you teach? So my areas are biology and health and human development, but I have been teaching mathematics since the beginning of my career. And I've been the leader of numeracy at the college that I'm employed at, which is from seven to nine for the past three years. This is my third year. And tell me about the Math for Change page that you've created. What was the inspiration behind that? Because that seems to be another teaching platform for you. Yeah, so I just stumbled across social justice mathematics when I was studying my Masters of Inclusive Education, which I'm graduating this year. I finished my degree. My graduation is in April. So one of the units was making mathematics matter to people. And something that has a lot of traction in other parts of the world is social justice mathematics. So using math to read the world and solve injustices, but it doesn't have a lot of attention in Australia. So I chose to make that my independent research project, put all of my energy and passion into it because it's just so critically important to have a curriculum that engages students in mathematics. And to answer that question or that that uh, (laughs) resistance that all students have to math, which is when am I ever going to use this? So it really contextualizes it into something very, very relevant for them. And I just never looked back. So I tried to just pick a forum that's relatable. I've seen so many people in education use Instagram as a platform for getting their message across, like yourself and other great education uh, Instagrams. And I thought, oh, well, I'll, I'll give it a go, even if a couple of people read it pick it up as an idea to use in their classroom, those students will benefit. So what does social justice in mathematics look like? So basically it's the integration of the two curriculum areas. So it's social justice, which can look like a lot of different things in a lot of different schools. It could be incorporated into some sort of tutoring group or resilience project, religious education. I'm at a Catholic college or even social studies. So in lots of different areas. And it's the integration of the social justice curriculum, however that appears at a school, and the math curriculum. So it's helping students to understand that math does have context and does have power. It's actually another language that we can use to read the world. And instead of having 
questions for students that don't mean anything to them in their lives, we can give them questions about the issues that are around them and ask them to explore that using mathematics. So, for example, rather than giving students a graph on people's favourite colour, the most popular colour, you could give them a graph on the prevalence of homelessness in Melbourne. So it doesn't have to be a big song and dance. This is a big issue. Let's talk about this and unpack it. There are moments for that, but it's just the incorporation of meaningful examples into math curriculum. I had somebody on called Naomi, I think last season, and her big thing was around sort of more inclusion in the curriculum. She was really supportive of the LGBT. QIA, I think, plus. Yeah. Um, I think I've got all the letters. Yeah, you did good. Community. And she was saying math problems are a really important place, actually, mm-hmm. because there's a lot of, sort of stereotypes and generalizations that go into maths problems that can open up inclusivity and, and people seeing themselves in maths problems. And I know that I saw too on one of your Instagram posts around not assuming that students play basketball after school because maybe they have to get a job. Yeah. or something like that. They're the kinds of things that I've I've seen on your page I think is really important. Yeah. What kinds of things can teachers take from, from ideas like that? So I suppose social justice math stems from the fact that mathematics curriculum itself is not just. There's no justice mm. in it. We've got some particular demographics that are grossly overrepresented in math success and um, others that are underrepresented. So we have something that's going on in our math classes or our math setup that makes students disengage and favours some groups over others. So that's where it begins from. And I think a lot of that comes from these assumptions that if you ask a student to do homework, they have the capacity to put time aside for themselves and do homework, which really that's what it is. It's an investment in themselves. The very real situation is that you've got a lot of students who are looking after other people in the house, cooking, cleaning for themselves, for siblings. You've got children who are responsible for other children getting to school on time. And then they come into the classroom. We as educators, so passionate about giving them the opportunity to grow, tell them off for being late. And it's all based on these assumptions that this student doesn't want to achieve. And it's problematic. So students who have home lives that are really, um, you know, conducive to being able to study and revise and do everything that a teacher asks them to do, they go really well in mathematics because they're able to rote learn, memorise, invest that time in themselves, but other students are not. So the problem is, okay, if we're going to teach math by rote learning, we've got a whole bunch of students that can't succeed. And numeracy, along with literacy, is one of the main indicators for success later in life. So it's like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? We've got to take away the rote learning aspect of mathematics. And it's one of the only curriculum areas that hasn't evolved over time. It largely looks like our what our parents studied and what their parents yeah. studied. And there's so many layers of what's wrong with it. But a, a really important step in the right direction is using the circumstances that are in some of our young people's lives and saying, I see you, you're in this curriculum too, and you are capable of succeeding in this area. When did that revelation come for you that it was important to understand the backgrounds of the students rather than make those assumptions? Because I think mm. 
it was well into my career before I actually started to realize that, oh, discipline and punishment is actually not the only way. In fact, it's probably not even the best way to encourage students to commit to the education. Yeah. So when was it for you that you realized, wow, there's so many people in my classroom that are automatically going to do better than others and how can I make that fairer? What did that look like for you? It's a really good question. So I think a big part of it was the transition from senior school for me to junior school. Mm. At senior school, the students that you're receiving in subjects that they've elected to study know how to study and they've got the mechanisms to be able to succeed. They've got the the home life to be able to succeed. And if they don't, they've managed very successfully around that to get where they are. So I didn't see the challenges until I went to the junior campus, uh, except for one very unfortunate aspect. And that was a student who was very unwell in a year 12 class of mine. And I, I basically couldn't help him. So those two things for me, also the fact that I was a problematic student at times. And a big part of that was I was struggling with emotional issues at home and that came out as defiance and resistance in the classroom. So (laughs) there's not not one moment, there's lots of different things that contribute to it, but ultimately it was this recognition that, oh, wait a minute, I'm I'm privileged and I have Mm -hmm. all of these great opportunities to do everything I want to do in my life, but these kids that I'm teaching don't. And if I can't find a way to see them and help them see themselves in the curriculum, then I'm really not a teacher at all. It's so true. It's interesting that you mentioned about being problematic at school because I am the flip side of that. <laughs> so I was the kid that on the surface level looked like I was engaged and into it. And the whole time I was like a ball of nerves holding it together the whole time. Yeah. And so I would then get home And I would just be this absolute emotional mess. And I'm sure that I was really challenging for my parents because I just, once I got home, it was like, here we go. This is everything I've held in all day. This is the quip I didn't say to my friend when I should have. And this is the, the anger I have for the kid that was on the monkey bars when I wanted it. And it just all would come out. And the thing is, is that I was so dysregulated. And so it's funny that, you know, you don't necessarily know that kid in your classroom because of how they're presenting to you. Oh, for sure. You have to do a bit of digging, don't you? Yeah, and there's not one way to be that makes you a successful student and there's not one way to be that makes you an unsuccessful student. It's it's that recognition that all of our students are different and we need to take the time to recognise that and appreciate that and celebrate it. But you can't do that unless you're presenting them with curriculum that means something to them. So there's injustice in math education, the way that it's delivered, and it's very slow evolving. There's a way to engage kids by highlighting that injustice and saying, well, hold on a second, all of these things that are happening around us, we can actually unpack that with the math itself. And then you can become an agent of change and look how powerful you are. And then they can take that into their own lives and realize how valuable they are as well. So how do you start changing the math curriculum? Because I know that teachers will be listening going, that sounds good. (laughs) But as you say, it's a very antiquated way. And I don't mean to say that in a negative way. It just is like, it's exactly, there's the teacher that gives the example at the front and then you have a textbook and you work through the examples until you get to the end. Then you get to the next class, it's a new example. Like that to me is pretty much how mostly math is taught. Mm. So how do you shift it? 
to make it more dynamic, to make it more relatable, to not make it so heavily bound by a textbook, mm. which is generally what we see. Yeah. How do you shift it? Well, it's, it's tricky because social justice teaching, that's actually, it's also known as the pedagogy of discomfort. So teachers are very, very resistant to take on social justice teaching because they're having to explore extremely sensitive issues in some capacity. So, you know, that alone makes it really hard. Couple that with math, which you've already got a whole range of challenges as a teacher in a math classroom. When will I ever use this? My parents are no good at it either. I'm not going to use this in my life, so I don't need to study it now. I mean, it's it feels overwhelming and virtually impossible. And as you said, there'd be people listening to this going, well, yeah, great idea, lady, but I can't do that in my classroom. It's completely unrealistic. But yeah. It's not. It's taken a while to get people on board in my current setting, not through any fault of their own, just it is what it is. But we've slowly chipped away and we've introduced projects that are social justice based. That's where we started and we trialed those. And once the kids enjoyed them, then other people trialed those too. And this is the first year that we have them across our multiple, like multiple campuses, which is fantastic. And then just slow incorporation of social justice based content in the math classroom. So perhaps a survey or some statistics that are related to social justice issues rather than something that, you know, is not contextualised for students. So little bits at a time. But the very real reality is that students need to know the language of mathematics before they can use it to explore other areas. So there is still a very, you know, a strong need for that textbook sort of question. But I think that differentiated math curriculum is the way to move forward. So don't chuck students in the deep end of a swimming pool when they're learning how to swim because they'll drown. It's exactly the same with math education. Meet them where they're at, find a program that allows you to do that and lets them build up to the part where they can swim, you know, on their own or can succeed in yeah. math on their own. So it's a couple of different things. It's slow. You have to build a trusting relationship with the staff that you're working with first and I have the most incredible bunch of teachers around me possible. Honestly, they're just incredible. Um, we'll trial anything and, you know, put their flavour into stuff. And we all do it different, but we all do it well. So I'm very fortunate. But it's slow going. One little bit at a time. Get people to see the worth of it and use differentiated curriculum as well. And it's somewhere, somewhere in there is the magic mix. You made the comment before that a lot of people are scared or intimidated by teaching social mm. justice. How important do you think it is that we do teach it, Do we that we do tackle those really sensitive mm. topics? Well, I can't think of anything more important than teaching kids about concepts like um, the prevalence of domestic violence or, you know, the rate of homelessness or the impact of social media on, on their mental health, mental health prevalence you know, diversity in the community, it's endless. I can't think of anything more important than teaching students how to function in society and right wrongs where they can. And math is, you know, quantitative evidence that math provides is so solid and so credible that why wouldn't we teach kids to use that as a tool to make a shift with something that's wrong in the world? I think if we don't do it, it's negligent, but that's, I mean, that's me. 
I just listened to this podcast called My Sister's Secret. It's a really very, very confronting podcast around sexual abuse in children and talking about a particular family, but also the numbers, exactly what you're saying that goes along with that. And the main message that this reporter who is personally involved because her sister um, passed away based on trauma from those events is always saying the only thing that silence does is benefit perpetrators, benefits people in positions of power where if you spoke, you would actually undo all of the negative things. And I think that's that seems to be like a bit of a catch-22 I find in teaching that we don't want to touch some of those really heady topics mm-hmm. because it's uncomfortable, just exactly what you said. It's dis- it's so much discomfort. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we might open up a can of worms, but is it not a safe space to do that with an adult that can navigate those conversations rather than being on TikTok and learning about it for, you yeah. know, one-minute video? Like I, I just... I don't know really the way to do it because I think it is uncomfortable mm. and, you know, you open yourself up. But I'm with you. Like I think that if we don't touch it at all, mm. how are we supporting these children and these young adults going into the world that, that haven't had a safe space to navigate it? And we do it in almost all other curriculum areas like health and human development. I know I used to teach about, you know, sexual safety, consent. It's a social justice issue. In biology we talk about genetics and what's ethical and unethical when it comes to manipulation of of cells and DNA. In religion, we talk about social, like the core of religious education is social justice. In geography, we talk about people who are living in third world countries and, and have a lack of resources, climate change and geography, science. It's embedded in everything, but in math, we don't. And I don't understand why we don't. So mm. now we are. <laughs> <laughs> but it's scary. I mean, if you're yeah. there's a way to do it and there's a and there's an art to it. And the idea is not to be not to put yourself into it too much. You don't, you're not required to give an opinion on something if you present data to a student. It's just not necessary. You're presenting it as factual information and it's student centered. They lead it. And we can largely stay out of it. As as unrealistic as that sounds, it's actually very, very achievable to give a resource to a student and ask them to unpack it. And the controversy can absolutely stay out of it. And you you remind students, I remind students a lot, you know, these are, these are some sensitive topics and you need to be thoughtful of people around you. We're not disrespectful. We're not judgmental. And if you can't, and if you can't handle those baseline common decency manners, then then you need to leave until you can. But but that's just all. Good educators are reminding their students on how to behave appropriately around other people. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uncomfortable. Well, you think it's going to be, but then it's just, it's not. It's wonderful. And the kids are so passionate about talking about these things. They sit up straighter in their chair like, wait, what? What are we talking about today? Yeah, yeah, we're talking about that and that matters to you. Like, what do you think of it? Yeah. And I think that we need to be more aware of what the students are interested in. I remember it was during the Trump-Biden election mm-hmm. and I had classes and I would look at students and look at their own games. And I went down the back and looked at their laptops and they were watching the votes. Wow. Real time. Like they were so into it. And I was sitting there thinking, well, this is real time. This is history in the making. And they were watching that election take place. And I would never in my wildest dreams have thought that they would be that interested in that sort of thing. 
So chatting to your kids and finding out what they are interested in too is what it's all about as well. Yeah. And like that's, you know, such a, as you said, it's a moment in history that's so critically important and it could have been a missed opportunity. Had you not been the great educator that you are and checking that kids aren't playing games on their devices, (laughs) you might have missed that they're actually following (laughs) this election, these votes. But, you know, it's a really really cool thing that kids want to know what's going on in the world around them, but they need the language and the tools and the skills to be able to do so respectfully and in a way that can actually make a change. So... It, you can it can happen in any subject, but mm. it's just not happening in math in Australia, and mm. there's no need for that. It's actually written into the Australian curriculum, yeah. social justice okay. and ethics and critical and creative thinking. It's all there, just waiting to be utilised. So why not? I want you to think about your own schooling. What was something that you wished had been more available to you, or something that you know you think about now that you go, imagine if I'd had that. As a kid, Mm. is there anything you can think of that you would have liked to have seen differently in your own education? Wow. Well, now as a teacher at a school where students have such a focus on looking after their mental health, I think that that was just so absent in my schooling experience because of my age. I'm 38 this year. And so that's a long time ago. But also public school, I think it's very different the pastoral care at a, um, a Catholic school is really strong. And I, I get a little bit jealous of what my students have. Mm-hmm. I think, wow, if you're struggling, and, and I mean that in a, in a nice way because I care deeply about yeah. them, but I'm like, wow, I was struggling. I have a, an anxiety condition called OCD and it's so misunderstood. And I was 27 before I told anyone. And mm-hmm. anyone that can help anyway. <laughs> And there's these kids saying to me in the classroom, oh, no, miss, that triggers me. Sorry. They're using their language to get yeah. out of work, yeah. God love them. But, um, you know, they are using it correctly. And I just think, wow, the mental health awareness now and the focus on well-being is beautiful. And it should have always been there, honestly. But I think that I would have really benefited from that earlier to break down that stigma around mental health. Well, I had a situation recently where I was taking an extra and this girl came up to me and she said, I just wanted to let you know, this is my name. I have Tourette's. So if I yell out, it's not about you. I'm just, you know, I just have some different triggers. And I said, thank you so much. And the kids were beautiful with her. There was no shame around it. She was upfront, came straight up to me. And I just thought that is such a shift. Even since I've been teaching, there's no way that kids would have been that comfortable yeah. with coming straight up to a new teacher and just being honest about who they are. No way. And that is a huge difference, isn't it? And what a power that that girl has. Like how empowered is that young woman? And she doesn't have to feel anything that anyone else should never have felt about mental illness. There is no shame in it. It is in, in terms of Tourette's, a neurological disorder, um, in terms of anxiety, it's a chemical imbalance. These are things that can be treated and mm-hmm. there should never have been shame around them. So, but it is, it's, isn't it crazy how, because we studied together at university at the same time, yeah. how much has yeah. changed in education since we began as graduate teachers to now and there have been Absolutely. really wonderful changes. Yeah. But I also really reflect on what we learnt at that time and how much was missing. So that you have to figure out along the way. And I'm, I'm really hopeful. I mean, you did your master's more recently in terms of being in, at university. 
I'm hopeful that those gaps are being filled a bit more because I, I certainly have had a lot of gaps in my understanding of what my role was as an yeah. educator and having to really allow the students in a way to help evolve my understanding of of where I'm best utilised. Yeah, and you figure it out along the way. And But these are young people's lives that are in our hands. I'm not sure if it's sort of figure it out along the way thing, but I did too. And then and then I studied, yeah, right. um, you know, this master's and I took my time with it. I've got two two little girls and and I just love to learn things and I love to study. So there was no rush. But I'm like, when I finished it and as I was doing it, I just kept thinking this should be compulsory education. This is what a teaching yeah. degree, a fundamental teaching degree should be. Was everything from child abuse and the impact trauma has on the development of a young mind through to exceptional mm. learners and quirky topics like social justice mathematics that totally got me hooked. It's it should it should be yeah, yeah taught to all of us early. Well we've done all right. You've yeah. done great. <laughs> we've um, we got there in the end. We're doing awesome, I think. <laughs> Tell me about situations that make you feel really empowered. Like where are you like in your power? As an educator? Yeah. Um, well, I hate public speaking, which is really ridiculous. The irony, I say that to my students too and they're like, what do you mean? You do it all the time. I'm like, yeah, but it's different. It's so different. It's different when it's I'm, I'm imparting wisdom on you young people. I, I don't want to talk to my peers in, you know, in, in a way yeah. where it's I'm teaching them because, I think a huge part of that is that, you know, underlying fear of being judged. It must be. It must be somewhere in there. But I hate it. It makes me feel physically ill. But I do it because now I think if I know something that someone else can benefit from and then they can pass that on to students, it's my social responsibility to do so. So it's terrifying. But then once I'm done, no matter how red I go, and they call it my splotchy stress rash. Well, okay, so I call it that. Um, but, but you do it and, and do you say it before you start just to like take it, just, just to take away it. all the shame I've in it. I've got to own it. Yeah, it is yeah. what it is. I'm going to go red and splotchy, but here we go. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be educational. <laughs> but I do it and I think to myself after, yeah, like you just did something that, that was for, for someone else and not at all for you. And that actually makes mm. me feel really empowered. And to to keep going with something when it's really, really torturous because no one's listening. I think we've all had that feeling as teachers. Yeah. To keep going and then get to the other side where things start to click together and work and they're accepted and celebrated, that makes me feel really good too. I've just realised that I think I'm not really in my body very well when I'm public speaking. Do you have that feeling where I, I, I'm kind of doing it but I'm not really there? And then I come out and I'm kind of like, what did I say? Did I? Whereas I'm much better and I'm much more powerful, I think, one-on-one. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean this that you're doing. I couldn't do this. I'm, I'm this better in this thing. space. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's that's your jam and you found it. And I think that there's power in that. <laughs> I'm so well, educated. You are, that's you are doing it. You are literally on the podcast right now, Jen. <laughs> Yes, but to benefit other people, <laughs> incredibly uncomfortable. No, I'm joking. You make me you make me feel comfortable and I think that's a huge part of it too. But you find you find what makes you feel really good that where you can have a positive impact on people like you're doing creating this podcast and then you just do it as much as you can because it feels like an incredible high. Yeah. Yeah. So what else then as a human gives you that high? Um raising young girls. 
is the literally the hardest thing that I've ever done in my life and will ever do. Mm-hmm. But I see them, they say things to me like they throw they throw my lessons in my face. I don't mm. know if your kids do this to you, but you know, I've taught them you're the boss of your own body. That's the one thing you have complete control of. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask them, go have a shower now. No, 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 mum. I'm the boss of my own body. I'm yep. not be showering just yet. And it's infuriating. But, but at the same time, I'm like, wow, I contributed to that ownership yeah. of, you know, that power that you have. And that makes me feel hopeful because yeah. a lot of the time I don't feel very hopeful about the state of the world and mm. and the things that young children have to navigate. But that makes me feel incredible, raising young women to be strong. That's awesome. I really love that. And I think I'm with you. My husband's very big picture and it can feel overwhelming when we're in those very big picture conversations so to me sometimes it's the small things exactly what you just said like to be able to tell a woman that's still growing up that their body is incredible and it's theirs and it's worth something for them you know rather than you know transactional for somebody else which unfortunately exactly as it is yeah exactly as it is you no need to change it everything about you is exactly as it should be like that's and my mum would always tell us those things as well. So I'm very, very lucky that I was raised by such an incredibly strong woman. And my dad is a feminist. And I just think, well, we need more of that. So that makes me feel so powerful, raising young women. I want to hear about some big life lessons and teachable moments that you've had in your life that you can impart on the audience today. Yeah. Own your mental health. <laughs> I think that's a huge one. Own it and be proud of it. And I say mental health intentionally, not mental illness, because Mm -hmm. it is on a sliding scale and you need to invest time in looking after that and staying on the positive end of that continuum. And there is nothing that you can think in your head that is too shameful to say out loud to someone, even if it's um, in one of those wonderful forums like Beyond Blue Mm. or Kids Helpline. There are so many people who will listen to you without judgment and no matter how bad you think your thoughts are or, um, you know, any, it, it, no matter how shameful you think something is, talk about it because there'd be other people out there who are feeling it too. I talk about my, my uh, mental health experience often, even though it makes me incredibly uncomfortable every single time yep. because I don't ever want to have a student or a person, a human, mm. Mm. around me that feels alone because they're battling this silent demon inside themselves. So that is always my number one piece of uh, life advice, for lack of a better description. Talk about it. Find someone you trust and then talk about it and then talk about it as much as you can. Mm. Professional help. There's no need for secrets. And the other thing is I, I don't think discomfort is celebrated enough. I'm huge in in an education setting. I celebrate learning discomfort often because that's the sweet spot and I don't think that we tell young people that enough like that moment where it feels torturous to try and learn any more of this new concept that's the sweet spot you're almost over the hill of it and then it's going to be stored in your brain forever and it's a gift it's okay to be uncomfortable that doesn't mean that you're bad at something that means that you're learning something Mm. so and there's no There's nothing more empowering. There's no greater gift than learning something new and then having that inside your head forever. You know, it's it's magic. So 
just telling my students constantly that there is a cheerleader for them in the world. They can literally do anything that they want. And they'll argue that they can't be seven feet tall. So, you know, you're a crazy lady. I can't do everything. Why do they always find the loophole, Jen? I was saying that to a student I was hearing before. I'm like, stop with the loophole. Stop it. I know I love them. But, um, yeah, you can do anything that you want to do if you want it bad enough. And you are capable of the things that you even think are unimaginably difficult. So just go for it. If you could just forget about all of these preconceived ideas, of yourself and just let go of them for a minute and just be in the moment with a problem and just sit with it you you will get there you just will I love that thank you so much for giving me all your time now your Instagram page math for change is it a four a number four yeah yeah Yeah. math for change I'll put it in the show notes but if people need to start following Jen and getting that social justice into math classrooms and also just in other classrooms because I as I said as an English teacher I look at some of that data and I think, oh, I could talk about that with, you know, issues analysis. And I, I also want to back what you said before about the fact that social justice conversations don't have to be personal. We do it all mm-hmm. the time in English with a text and you can actually yeah. let the text deliver the problem yeah. and criticise or contemplate or analyse a character's decisions and it's not about you. It's not about what you've done. No allows for those conversations to come forth and so I think yeah you're right it's not as scary because I think the moment we feel it it has to be personal we have to be all over it you don't Mm. actually you can just present the situation and then see what comes from it and the moment that you make it personal that's not good so you know just just keep keep that in your mind and you're always going to be okay don't let kids talk about a personal experience of theirs in a place that's not psychologically safe there are there are opportunities to do that in safe settings this is about looking at data and trying to unpack the world around them yeah thank you so much it was really fun